Well, how many of you are ready to learn a little bit something else tonight that will help you in your uh, endeavors and your walk with the Lord? How many of you enjoyed the services on Monday night? Amen. Well, you better get ready. I'm telling you, you better get ready. Power of the Holy Ghost is just going to flow in such an extreme way, so you better get yourself prepared and ready to receive everything that God has for you so that you can be a blessing to others that will be coming in. Amen. We're going to continue. I've been given an assignment, so we want to stick with the assignment. I'm going to be ministering to you tonight on your conduct that's worthy of of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many of you know it's important that your life, your lifestyle, the way you live, the way you talk, what you do with your life matters to the Lord. He's given us instructions that will help us. How many of you know the word doesn't bring us into bondage, it always brings us into freedom. Amen. So, we, we want you to grab a hold of some of the things that we're going to say tonight. You're going to say, well, that doesn't really apply to me. But uh, nonetheless, you're not the only one that's listening. It's going to apply to somebody in this room. Matter of fact, I believe it's going to apply to all of us. Conduct. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter number 1. And we're going to begin at verse number 21. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, which what I shall choose, I want not. Now, how many of you know that everything that you do in life is a choice? You choose the direction of life where you're going. You will eat the fruit of whatever it is that you choose to do in your life, whether it's negative or whether it's positive. And it's up to you totally. Nobody can make you do really anything. There was a little boy... I might have said this before, but I want, to, I want to say it again. There was a little boy that came with his dad to service, and they were up on the front row. They had pews in their church, and during the song service, the little boy would stand up right next to his father. And uh, while he was standing next to his father, he was entering in. He was worshiping and praising the Lord, and then it came time for them to sit down. Well, the little boy wasn't ready to sit down yet. He was still wanting to worship the Lord. And so his dad grabbed a hold of his arm, and he kind of tugged on him and told him, he said, son, sit down. And he said, no, I don't want to sit down. He said, I want to keep standing. And uh, his dad said, well, listen, it's, it's time for all of us to be seated, so you need to sit down. And so he took his son and he pulled him down, and the little boy sat down reluctantly, but he did sit down. He obeyed his father and everything else. In just a few seconds, he turned to his dad And he said, Dad, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. So it was a choice, a choice that we make in our life 
determines the outcome of how we're going to walk in the newness of the life that God has called us to. Now, how many of you know that there is, there is nothing in this physical man that can, by itself, decide to follow God? We need help. No man comes to the Father except the Spirit draw him. And Jesus said himself in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, and he said, I am the truth, and I am the life. He said, no man comes to the Father but by me. I've said for years and years and years now, after preaching, for as many years as we've preached, that God is very narrow-minded on the subject matter about Jesus Christ, his son, and what he came to do. There is only one way. There's not a multiplicity of ways. I've heard many people, they say, well, there's many ways to God. No, there's not. There is one way to God. And that's through his son that he sent to become the propitiation for your sin and for my sin. It is his blood that satisfied the gavel of justice of heaven for humanity. One person. Buddha didn't do it. Our Krishna didn't do it. Sun Young Moon didn't do it. All of the isms and chisms, they didn't do it. And it doesn't make it. Jesus is the only way that we're going to have the victory that we're longing for in our hearts. There's something in our heart that needs uh, a fulfillment to be able to live this life that we call Christianity. Christianity is to be Christ-like. That means to act like him, to walk like him, to speak like him, to do like him. We are to be an ambassador or a representative of his arms, of his feet, of his mouth, of his eyes, of his nose, everything else that he is. We are his hands extended to the world. And so if we're going to get everything that we need, then we're going to need to give allegiance to the one that he sent to teach us. The Holy Spirit is our guide. He is the one that liberates us. He's the one that brings revelation knowledge to us. He is the one that's going to escort us out of this earth realm into the presence of the Lord. And we're the ones that's going to cause that to happen because he's coming for the people that are looking for him. I'm telling you, there are a lot of folks that are getting focused on his soon imminent return. And so we need to get prepared because the last days are going to be greater than the former days. There is a collision that has taken place in the spirit right now as we are sitting and we are listening. There's a collision that has already taken place in the atmospheric condition that the devil knows that his hour is up. It's up. So the intense heat that's coming from the adversary is becoming more intensified. As we go higher, there is greater demonic activity that is going on. Demons operate and they function in the realm of regions and they function in those zones that they've been given an assignment to. The one thing that I have to say 
about, uh, about demonic activity is they are obedient to their leader. Don't get so enthused and excited. You know, but that's the truth. We're the only people that say, why, Lord? Are you sure? Is this what you want me to do? He said, I want you to be empowered with power. And we've been fighting that for years. Not you necessarily, but I know many groups have been fighting the the Holy Spirit because they don't believe that he's necessary. Well, you're not going to get anywhere if you you don't give allegiance to the one that he left behind to teach you. Amen? I don't know about you, but I was raised up in a family that uh, we were an ungodly family. But uh, we had some rules and regulations in our family. One of those rules and regulations is you don't speak until you're spoken to. So while you're at the table, it's time to listen to what uh, dad and what mom has to say. And then, and then if you're asked a question, you're expected to give, give an answer. But discipline was a very big part of my upbringing. I don't know about yours. I went to a school where they had corporal punishment. I'm talking about public school. I'm not talking about, you know, a specialized school. I'm talking about public school that had corporal punishment. I know that they did because I got it several times. <laughs> because I was not being obedient to the guidelines and the rules that had been established for the young people to function and operate in our school. I was a real sweetheart otherwise. I wasn't a troublemaker, but I just didn't like to do what everybody else wanted me to do. But Paul makes a very definitive answer when he is speaking to the church at Philippi. And he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It is Christ. It's the Christ in you. The hope of glory. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in this world. You can do this. Look at your neighbor and say, I can live this life. I can do this. And so can you. But it's a choice. It's a choice. Did you know that there should never be backbiting and bickering in the church? Did you know there should never be slander? Misuse, abuse of any kind in the body of Christ. We're supposed to be a loving people. They're supposed to know us by our love. Amen. Did you know that Jesus was not a violent man except a couple of times? But it was only when it was called for. He didn't want to be. That wasn't the nature or the character of who he was because God is love. Jesus was love. God is peace. Jesus was peace. God is joy. Jesus was joy. 
You know, all the pictures that they paint of Jesus have him like he's sad. But, you know, he, he wasn't sad. I believe he had fun. I believe he enjoyed life to the fullest. Or how could he have patterned a, a, a way for us to be able to enjoy the fullness of what he's got so that we could develop the kind of conduct and character that he himself established for you and I. We're to pattern ourselves after the one who gave his life for us. And I don't think we can refute that. I think we might try to do that from time to time because we don't necessarily want to live up to the standard. God gave us a standard. He wants us to enjoy that standard. He goes on to say, he says, I am in a strait, verse number uh, 23, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for the furtherance of the joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given to, uh, in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Now I want you to look again at verse number 27. He said, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else you be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Striving for the faith of the gospel. The same verse, verse 27 in the New American Standard says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Standing together. You know, I, I've said this, but I'll, I'm going to say this again. People would come up to me from time to time and, uh, and they say, Pastor, we're behind you. We're behind you. And I said, you know, I know you say you're behind me, but really you need to be standing alongside of me. 
because I don't know how far you might be behind me. (laughs) Or they come and say, I got your back. I don't want you behind my back. God's got my back. I need you to come with me and let's take the land hand in hand. Hand in hand, we take the land together. We stand together and we're fortified together. We're strengthened together in might. And our connection is the love of God. That's what keeps us together. That's, that's the glue that puts us together is the love of God that's been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. God so loved the world that what? He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. A Zoe life. A life that takes care of spirit, soul, body, and domestic. Every need met and every need supplied. You know, Psalms 23 didn't go out when the New Testament was established on the day of Pentecost. Amen. The Lord is still my shepherd. I shall not want. Another rendering says, I shall not lack any good thing. Another rendering says, if shall not lack any good thing. And if it's not being created yet and it's not available yet, I'll create it for you. If you have need of it, he'll see to it that it is taken care of. Our God is not slack concerning his promises. Therefore, that's the reason we should be so happy and so fulfilled in life. Our conduct needs to match up and needs to pair up with how Jesus handled himself as he walked upon this planet called earth. He was tempted in all points such as man, but what? He never succumbed to sin because that was not his nature. That was not his character. That was not his conduct. I got news for you. When you came into the kingdom of God, your nature changed. Your conduct changed. Everything about you changed, but it's up to you to take that which has been given to you Freely you've received it. Now you're to issue it out to mankind. I told someone one time they were talking to me and they said, you know, I just have a hard time with church people. I said, you know what? I do too. Some Christians, and I'm not saying they're not a Christian, but they sure don't act like it. They don't talk like it. They don't walk like it. I know some Christians that sow discord amongst the the brethren. Did you know what the penalty of sowing discord amongst the brethren is? It's one of the seven things that God detests and he hates. Is those that sow discord amongst the brethren. You know, the world many times acts a lot better than church folks. Come on, Pastor. Now, I know I'm meddling, but I know that's not any of you. But sometimes, you know, just something gets in our crawl. We get agitated. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. You haven't arrived yet. Neither have I. 
I've been doing this a long time, but I still haven't arrived yet. I still have some more maturing and some growing up. And there's just things that I've not, I've not gotten full understanding of. But the body of Christ as a whole needs to be loving. You know, we shouldn't just tell people we love them. We should mean it. Some people will come up to me and say, I love you in Jesus' name. I said, isn't that wonderful that you've got a name that you can lean on? He said, can you love me without it having to be in Jesus' name? Can you just love me because that's your character, that's your nature? Because if you can love me in my good, good points, you need to learn how to love me in my negative points. It needs to be consistently the same. God's love, thank God for God. Did you know God loved you in your trespasses and sin? He still, you know, as a Christian, how how many of you as a Christian have ever committed a sin since you've been a Christian? How many human beings do we have in this room? Every one of us have faltered or we failed in some way, some measure, did something that we had no business doing including Paul the Apostle. And someone just said, well, where does it say that? I'm glad you ask. Go with me to Romans. It's not on your list, but go there anyway. Go to Romans chapter number seven. He's talking to the church at Rome. For the smaller print, I use these. Romans chapter number 7. Let's begin Let's let's begin at verse number 6. It says But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. In the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. Verse 11, for sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Verse 13, was in that which is good made death unto me, God forbid. But sin, 
that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sowed under sin. Now, how many of you have ever read this? I'm sure all of you have read that. This is Paul talking to the church at Rome and explaining to them where he's at in his own life, where he's been, what he's faced, what he's had to come to a knowledge and an understanding of. And he tells us here in just just a few minutes here. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. He said, O wretched man that I am, Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He says, I thank God. Everybody say, I thank God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law, uh, the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Chapter 8. There is therefore now, Say, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk after the flesh. Not They they walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. How many of you can honestly say, I'm a Spirit-led person? The Bible goes on to tell us, he says, if I will... Walk after the Spirit, I'll not mind nor fulfill the lust of the flesh. You actually can live a day without sin. You can. You can. I have. It amazes a lot of people I say that I have. I, I have. And so have you. When your mind's been stayed on the Lord, you've been walking after the Lord, and you did not let your flesh dictate and rule your life. There is something on the inside of you called a soul. 
that soul man that you have on the inside of you, we give way too much audience and attention to. You buy, drive past a Dairy Queen. What, what, is, what, what is your body and your soul saying? Turn. Go in there and get you an ice cream, get you a malt, get you whatever that you want. Some of us have addictions. And it's not alcohol. And it's not drugs. But it's... It's some food items that your soul man absolutely loves. You have favorite things that you like, and you can't resist them. You can't turn them down. You don't want to turn them down because you like them. But are they good for you? Are they healthy for you? Do they build your body up? Do they, do they encourage you? Do they, get, do they give you all the nutrients that you need? I'm meddling pretty good here. You know, that's what pastors do is they meddle. They get in our lives because we're supposed to, we're supposed to help you. Well, Pastor Phil, do you have any of those things? Don't ask. You don't, I, I'll take care of me. You take care of you. That's what I'm trying to get you to. It's the Christ in you that we're after. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm after the Christ in you. To do and to will of his good pleasure. I mean, he gave you his joy. He gave you his peace. He gave you his love. He gave you his long suffering. He gave you his gentleness. He gave you his faith. He gave you everything that he was. He's the lily of your valley. He's the bright and the morning star of your life. Yes. Amen. 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 He's, he's the, everything that you need. He's your healer. He's your deliverer. Yes. He's everything that you need. He satisfied the gavel of justice for you. Did you know Jesus died for you? Yes. He died for me. When he came, a revelation in my heart. He died for me. And if I was the only one on the planet, I would have put him to death. But he still would have died for me. He would do it for me because he loves me that much. He loves you that much. Look at your neighbor again and say, you can do this. You can live this life. I can live this life. This is not a hard life to live. This is a wonderful life. He said, therefore, there is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk after, not after the flesh, but after the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free. Say, I'm free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. Jesus became sin. Who knew no sin. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Second Corinthians 5.21. He became 
the sin nature. He replaced everything that Adam lost in the garden. And he replenished it back into our lives so that we could walk in newness of life. So that we could be free. Many times people are bound by certain things because they don't think that they can really be free from those things. And I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. We've got as much sin in the church as we do in the world. These things ought not so to be. We wonder why the church is weak. Why it does not have an audience. If you go back a hundred years, you'll find that the church was the center attraction in a city. Anybody ever watch Little House on the Prairie? The church, the church was, was not only the church house, it was the schoolhouse. It was the meeting hall of the city. The, the officiating official was the pastor. He opened up every meeting of the city. He opened up every meeting of the school day. The number one subject matter in the books was the gospel. Did you know that Harvard University was a Christian university? Did you know that its destination and its design was to establish and to send forth missionaries into other parts of the world? I challenge you to go on campus today. Princeton, established for godly purposes and principles. We have far crumbled in the world's society. The United States of America used to be a beacon for the gospel. Now you hit the airports and you see nothing but sin. Very little, if any, gospel whatsoever. Well, that was a good introduction. Let's go on. I want to read to you something out of Dr. Savell's material. His statement concerning these matters was out of the love for the Christians in Philippi, Paul admonished them to maintain their commitment to live their lives in a manner that was consistent with the word of God. That's what Paul was doing. Society had eroded even during Paul's day. Society is going to continue to erode. The Lord says that the world is going to wax worse and worse, but not for the church. The church, her greatest hour is upon her. And we're at the cutting edge of that great church. Is he going to find faith on the earth? Yes, he is. Because faith is going to summon him back. There's a remnant of people that God has already handpicked. That have gotten turned on. To the word of God and the word of faith. And they're headed towards that great and notable day of the Lord come. Because they're going to usher in the presence of the Lord. 
And then we're going to enjoy a great supper with him. It's going to last seven years. There's also a pause in heaven for the rapture of the church. I don't know if you knew it or not. Reading the book of Revelation. 30 minute pause. That's so some of us can get it together and make it. Because he's not willing that any perish. But that all come to repentance. That day is upon us, church. And we have to wake up and realize that we are the salt of the earth. We're the light to the world. We're not to be hid under a bushel. We're not to be in our closets. We're supposed to be outside letting it be displayed in public. (laughs) Philippians chapter number 2, if you would. Verses 13 through 15. This isn't, well, this isn't a numerical standard. You can put it up on the screen. It said, For it is God who is at work in you, both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining or arguments, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. I don't know about you, but if he says I'm blameless and if he says I'm innocent, if his blood has satisfied the gavel of justice for me, then why not go ahead and start calling yourself? Because if you call yourself, you'll become what it is that you call yourself. Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. If he says I'm innocent, I'm innocent. If he says I'm blameless, I'm blameless. Whether I'm acting like it, walking like it. Paul said the things that I want to do, I'm not doing. Things that I should be doing, that I'm, I, I, I'm not doing that like God wants me to do it. But he said, oh, wretched man that I am. He said, there's an answer to this. Thanks be to God that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. He took care of this for me. Listen, you don't have to go around and tell everybody what your sins are. Listen, there is a high priest that took care of everything. You don't need to take care of, go to anybody to tell anybody about your sin. Well, it says confess your faults one to another. I would suggest to you, go to God first. Take care of the matter with God. Amen. Job shouldn't let it all out that, you know, what, what he had been doing because all of his friends showed up and they had negative response to him. We don't need those kind of friends. We need the people that will stick with us through thick and through thin, who are with us in the good times and in the times that are not so good. We need to have unconditional love. That's what Jesus had, unconditional love. That's what the church should have. We're not judges. God left that in his own hands, his own charge. He's going to judge mankind. But I'm a fruit inspector. I have the right to inspect fruit. I have the right to inspect your fruit. You have the right to inspect my fruit. Well, what kind of fruit are you talking about, Pastor? If I'm living right or or what? No, if you've got love, joy, peace, temperance, meekness, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness... 
faithfulness. He said, against such there is no law. Why? Because it's the law of God. It's God in you who wills to do of his good pleasure. You've got it in you. You just have to let it out of you. I've got it in me. I just need to let it out of me. But you need to go to him. He said, confess. If you, he's, he said, if you'll confess your sin, he's faithful and just. There's only one that can forgive your sin anyway. If you will confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Well, it sounds like to me, that's who I need to go to. I don't need to come to you. It's none of your cotton picking business. That's how we get busybodies is because they get into everybody's business. They got no business in your business. Go to the Lord with it. You know where your weaknesses are. He told you to cast all of your care on the Lord. He didn't say cast it on the church. Don't cast it on the pastor. He's got more to do than, than listen to everything that's going on in your life. It's time to grow up. It's time to grab a hold of what God has called us to do. It's time for us to live right, act right, walk right, talk, talk right, move in a right fresh, in a right position so that we can see the results of God because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Can he use a sinner? Well, he used Moses. He used David. He used Isaac. He used Paul the Apostle. Did you know that Paul the Apostle was standing there when they were stoning Stephen to death? He was standing right there. He consented to it. Jesus gave Judas Iscariot every opportunity. It would have been a really good time whenever Jesus said at the table, there's somebody here that's with us that's going to betray me tonight. It hadn't, he hadn't betrayed him yet. He was on the verge of it. The devil was working on him. He gave him every opportunity to say, Lord, that's me. I'm not going to do it. I love you too much. You love me too much. And you know what? Jesus would have said, good. Good. I release you from that. That's the kind of God we serve. He's not out to, to punish you. He's out to free you up. He said, you're blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach 
in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Paul warned them that their moral conduct would bring honor or reproach to the word of God. They were to live their lives in a manner that corresponded to the truths that they professed to believe and preach. How many of you believe in his death? His burial? His resurrection? The shedding of his blood for the remission of your sins? How many of you believe that you're healed? How many of you believe that you are the delivered? How many of you believe that you are the free? He came to set the captive free. Well, I don't feel free. Start acting free. You are free. It's a matter of you accepting what the Lord's done. Quit letting the devil lie to you. He's trying to sell you a a bill of goods that doesn't belong to you anymore. It's not your life. You've been buried with him. And risen with him in the newness of life. You're not that old person anymore. You're not that one that, that before you went down into the, the, into the waters, that person died. When he went under the waters, he died. And in Colossians, it said that he separated. He separated the filth of the flesh and the filth of the soul in the water baptisms, in the Amplified Bible, in Colossians chapter 2. He stripped it. He stripped off. That old carnal nature. He stripped it off. Well, I was only under the water seconds. It doesn't take the long butt, the Lord long butt a second to do what he needs to do. Water baptism is not just showing to the world that you got uh, born again. It's showing to the devil that you've been brought up in newness of life. A whole brand new life. I took on a whole new DNA DNA system into my life. The old nature is not there unless I allow it to be. If I allow it to be, then it'll hang around. And it'll try to prompt me to go and to do things that I have no business doing. The church's greatest testimony to the world is its integrity. When we live below the biblical standards of moral and godly living, we compromise our integrity. Compromised integrity creates weakened credibility. Weakened credibility means less impact and less influence. And that's where the church has been at this day. But she's changing. She's changing. I look forward to the day when we come into the house and there's not a sick one among us. Not a sick one among us because it can't stay. And if you were sick before you came in, you're not sick when you came in. Because he sets you free right at, uh, on the, when you enter on the properties that are classified to be holy. If you call them holy, they'll be Holy. 1 Timothy 4 and 12 says, Let no man despise your youth. Speaking to Timothy. But be thou an example of the believers in word, 
in conversation, in charity or love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. That kind of covers the whole gamut. That's what he told to Timothy. Now, if Timothy's going to do that, what do you think he's expecting of us? Don't get so quiet in this Presbyterian church. (laughs) He's expecting us to do that. If Timothy can do this, you can do this. I can do this. I'm expected to do this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. He said, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as, a, as strangers and pilgrims, abstained from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Notice it's not warring against the spirit. It's warring against the soul. That's where your mind, your will, and your emotions are at. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of men for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king of supreme, or unto governors, or unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honoring all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Sounds like a meal plan for the church. It's good chow. We ought to grab a hold of it and run with it. Well, I don't like that one part. Well, that's the part, obviously, that you need to work on. (laughs) I want to give you four words. Write these down. I'll give you definitions and some scriptures to go with them. Before we close. First word is standard. Second word is conviction. Third word is commitment. And the last word is compromise. Several months ago, I ministered in chapel at JSMI. And this was the message that the Lord gave me to, to minister was on these four words. So I ministered on those four words. And I'm not going to minister that message, but I'm going to give you the definitions. Because Dr. Savell's ministry, JSMI, underscore heritage of faith, are all one work. We function out from underneath the ministry that he has established. And there is a standard Mm -hmm. that has been established. Mm -hmm. And there should be a standard. Every church 
has a corporate identification. They're established underneath the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they have bylaws. Every church has, a, has bylaws, this one included. And in those bylaws, it's based upon Scripture. The whole thing is based upon Scripture, which it should be. And those should not be something that we violate. Because when we come and we become a member of the body of Christ as a whole, universal, God has a standard. How many of you know God has a standard? Right here is this standard. These are his bylaws. He tells you how to live. He tells you how to have a good life. He tells you how to prosper. He tells you how to get healed. He tells you how to get delivered. He tells you everything that you need to know concerning God. These are his bylaws. This is his structure. This is what we believe. We believe that the Bible is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It's not just in a court of law where we put our hand on it and say we believe. They don't even do that hardly anymore. But there was a day when people came to this nation, they came for one reason and one reason only, was to get away from the tyranny and all of the lack of religious freedom that there was to establish something in the presence of a sovereign God. We started off right. We established schools, colleges, cities, all founded upon this message right here. And what's happened is through the years, it's been watered down and the devil has put on pressure and the church has given itself in to the pressures that the devil has put on the church. And she's become silent. I'm saying as a whole, I'm not saying for every church. There are many churches that are actively involved in fighting the good fight of faith and laying hold on eternal life and letting people know that they're not going to bow their knee. They're not going to give in to the whims and the woes of the devil. And this is one of those churches. Thank you for all your enthusiasm. Standard is something put up as a rule or a model to pattern after. How many were in the military? How many of you know they had a standard in your military? If you were in the Navy, the Marines, you know, Coast Guard, whatever. There was a certain standard that you had. Listen, your, your, your officers and, you know, those that were in charge, you know, if you didn't salute them, uh, you, you headed for some trouble. I was on an aircraft carrier in Vietnam in the, during the Vietnam War. And the name of my carrier was the Coral Sea. It's been mothballed now. But we had 5,000 men on that ship. We had 100 Marines that were stationed on that ship. They took care of the brig, 
that was on the ship. You mean you had a brig on it? Yeah, we had a brig on the ship. Because there's guys that just don't want to work with the plan. They want to do their own thing. They took care of policing the ship. They would give out what they called speeding tickets. You got three speeding tickets, you went to the brig. I got two. And I was doing everything to avoid being around them. Because, man, your shoes better be shined. Your, your uniform had better be properly, you know, in place. Your hat needed to be on certain parts of the ship and off in certain parts of the ship. You better be saluting officers. You better be doing... Well, you, that's in the middle of the war. You know why they did it? Was to keep you disciplined. To keep you on the fundamental basics of being submitted to authority. This Bible is the authority of your life. It's not there just to lay around in your house and to gather dust. It's there for you to study, to find out who you are and what you possess in Him. Number two, conviction. The state of being convinced or fully awakened to awareness, a fixed belief. You don't need to be wishy-washy. You need to have a fixed belief. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12-14. through 14. For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know, know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Paul was committed. He had a conviction about Jesus Christ, who he was, and what he had come to do. He had revelation inside of him that convinced him that there was no other pattern, no other way. And he didn't deviate from it. Commitment. Commitment uh, It's the state of being obligated. It's the state of being obligated or compelled. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, Paul said to Timothy just before his departure, he said, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished my course. He said, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. The last word is compromise. It is to adjust by concession or choice to adjust your life. Whatever you choose, 
That's what you can expect. Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 30, he said, Choose you this day whom you'll serve. He said, I want you to know it's been recorded in heaven. I charge you before God Almighty. And I witness it before you. Choose you this day whom you'll serve. It's a choice. Compromise is a place where we concede to what the Bible says is our choice. This is what we chose. When we chose the blood of Jesus and accepted him as our savior, we made some decisions. Well, I didn't know all of that was in the Bible. I don't know everything that's in the Bible. Well, neither do I, but it doesn't change the fact that God sent his word and his word is there for the reading. It's there for the understanding. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. Let me tell you, every time you study your Bible, welcome the Holy Spirit in to teach you what you need to know that day. You may only end up reading one verse, but he'll reveal to you in that one verse everything that you need to know for that day. He'll give you some new insight and revelation if you'll open up to him. I never start, start reading anything until I've talked to the Holy Spirit and said, Holy Spirit, you're my teacher. Teach me, show me new sites and things that I need to know. It means to settle, uh, compromise means to settle for less than entitlement, a partial surrender of uh, purposes or principles. In 1 Peter chapter number 1, 13, verse 13 and six, through 16, he said, Wherefore, gird up, gird up the loins of your mind. He said, Be sober and hope to the end. For the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of, of uh, Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves uh, according to the former lust in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. I've been given an official summons, so of you, the Bible refers to the call of God as a high calling, a holy calling, and a heavenly calling. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, Paul said, I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's a high calling. You all have been called. You may not be called to stand behind a pulpit and preach, but you've been all called to preach. You've been all called to live by the same book everybody else has to live by. Amen. I have a high calling. It's not a low calling. What God has for you to do for him, nobody else can do it but you. You have an anointing. You have a gifting. You have a, a calling upon your life. You, you, you have talents and abilities that other people do not have. And you're the only one that can do it. So do it. Respect the call of God on your life. Well, I want to stand behind the pulpit and preach. No, you don't. No, you don't. Just do what you're called to do. If you're called to go around and plant seed, go plant. If you're called to water, water. God's going to get all the increase anyway. How many of you are going to get crowns when you go to heaven? 
Lift, everybody lift your hand. You're all going to get crowns. You know what you're going to do with them? You're going to toss them at the feet of the Lord. You're not even going to get to keep them. It's out of honor and respect for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that gave his life for you so that you can walk in the newness and the freedom of life that was so beautiful here on this planet called earth. While the earth still remains and stands, there's always going to be seed time and harvest. We need to keep on remembering that God is continuing to give us things to help other people to be blessed with. We have, to be a, we, we have been officially summoned by God, not only to proclaim the good news, but to live by it. I don't have the right to live any way I want to live. I've been bought with a price. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. The precious blood of the Lamb. Amen? In closing, again in Philippians 3.14, Paul said, I press. I press. You need to press. I need to press. Into everything that God has. Listen, you're at the right place, at the right time, in the right church. Diane and I pastored for 41 years in three churches. Those churches were great churches. But I'm telling you, you are in a great church. This church is a hot pocket. There's hot pockets all across this United States of America. You're in a church that, that is hot. You may, not, you may not know that. I've said it umpteen times from this pulpit because I came from the outside coming in and I'm telling you, this is a hot pocket. God is about to do some things that are going to absolutely blow you away. And it's going to become so normal that when you come in, that you know that there's going to be signs and wonders. There's going to be people to get delivered. They're going to walk in, and God's going to deliver them. And nobody's going to have to lay hands on them. And some may get hands laid on them. When people deal with spirits, you don't pray out spirits. You don't fast out spirits. You cast out spirits. You cast them out. Well, how do you cast them out? With the authority of the name of Jesus of Nazareth. It's a name that's above every name. Demons bow to that name. They surrender to that name. We just render them inoperative and helpless. Some people want to play with them. want to call them by name. Say, listen, give me your name. Who cares what their name is? Just get out. Just get out. Jesus didn't go around asking for a name. They told Jesus who they were. Jesus didn't ask them for their name. Didn't make him any difference if there was 2,000 there or not. All of them were coming out. They all went into the hogs. And the hogs went and drowned themselves. Well, spirits don't die. They're eternal. 
Where'd they go? They went back to a place searching for another vessel to occupy. God wants us to live right. To press speaks of aggressive, energetic behavior. It speaks of pursuing with all one's might. It means to become highly disciplined. It means becoming non-compromising. It means staying focused. It means single-mindedness. It means taking the call of God on your life seriously. It's not a joke. It's not a fad. It's not something that we're just going to be into for a season and out of. We're not looking to church hop. God called you to get planted, get rooted, and get grounded. God has a place called there for you. Yes, sir. When Diane and I left Massachusetts and we made our journey down to here, we knew that when we came here, exactly where we would go to church. We didn't go church looking. We came right to this church. You know why? Because I'd already been to this church on numerous occasions when we would come and fly in to go to the conventions and the different things that were going on here. And we came to Dr. Savell's church. The reason I came here was because this church was so much like our church. People were loving. They were kind. They were generous. They were exciting. They were excited. And that hasn't changed, really. She's gone through some things. But I'm telling you what, she's going to come out on the other side a whole lot better. Sometimes God has to do a pruning to get it to where it needs to be. Amen. Stand to your feet. Did you get something out of this tonight? I I, I pray that it blessed you. Praise God.